Well, back a number of years ago on New Year's Eve, I, I pulled into my driveway at about 10 o'clock and I saw a big old possum scurry his way into my backyard. And I was thrilled to see him because for the past six weeks, our garbage had had some animal that kept going through it and turning over the can, doing all sorts of things with the food inside the, the bags. And so I was glad to finally find out who it was that had been doing it. So I went inside and I got a flashlight and a golf club. And I walked in the backyard, and sure enough, uh, I kept looking for him. I couldn't find him anywhere, until finally I saw him in a tree. He was trying to look very inconspicuous there. And I went up to him, and I, I poked him with my three iron. And uh, when I poked him, he got in an attack position, exposed his fangs, and got ready to pounce on my head. And so I decided to retreat inside. And I called up a buddy of mine the next morning. I said, hey, John, I said, uh, you live on a farm. I said, do you, do you think you could get me a cage that I could catch this possum with? He said, yeah, come on out. And he said, yeah, it'll be easy. So I put the cage in the backyard, and I put some food out there. And he would eat the food outside the cage, but he wouldn't go inside the cage. This went on for about a week. And I'm, I'm, my kids, we get so excited every single day about it. And finally, I called up John. I said, John, I said, I hate to tell you. I said, wait, we haven't caught anything yet. He said, well, let me ask you one question. I said, what's that? He said, are you changing the menu? I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you, you got to change the menu. You got to keep trying different things and varying the menu till you finally find something that he likes. So we started trying different things every night. And we put something different out there. And, you know, we put ground beef out one night. We put pizza out and, and he, you know, eat on the, he was a thick crust possum, by the way. Um, we were trying to get him to go inside the cage. Well, finally, one morning, my wife, Beth, she screamed out, we got the possum, we got the possum, man. We bundled the kids up. We were so pumped up. We'd put ham out the night before, and evidently, the, Mr. Possum likes ham. So we were so pumped up. We even, we even took a picture with our kids and with their friends. And yeah, there's, there's not a lot to do back in Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> so that was a big day for us, all right? But uh, you can tell it's an exciting life there. But here's a close-up of the possum when I came up to him a little bit closer. You can tell that he recognized me, right? Um, what cats are to Ashley, possums are to me. Well, I didn't know how to get rid of a possum. So that evening, I called up our high school student pastor. I figured he had plenty of experience with wild animals. And he agreed he would help me out. I went over to his house to pick him up and Jim came walking out and he had a football helmet on and was carrying a shotgun. <laughs> and so we went and we found this park where there was this wooded area and we, we let the little critter go out there. But for the next few weeks, everyone who heard the story of the capture and release, they began to circulate and tell other people that, but they all had one question for me. You know what the question was? They said, is it tough to catch a possum? And I'd answer each one of them the, the very same way. I said, it's really not that tough to catch a possum. All you have to do is, is finally find something that they're not able to resist. And that is exactly how Satan operates as he attempts to turn the faithful into the faithless. And at first he might entice you with, with someone's appearance. And if that doesn't work, he'll just change gears and he may tempt you with pride or he might tempt you with a position of, of influence. And if that fails, he, he won't give up. He might just try to, to get you to value possessions over people 
or affluence over integrity. And Satan knows what he's doing. He'll just keep changing the menu until he finally finds something that you can't resist. He tracks, he tricks, and he traps. Solomon wrote about it in Proverbs chapter seven, verse 21. He says, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. We've been in a series talking about horns and hooves, and that is a reference to Satan in in the way that so many see the devil more as a caricature and not an enemy. And you, you do realize that he is our enemy. The Bible refers to him as the father of lies, that he is Lucifer, he is the prince of darkness, he is the deceiver, he is the accuser. He wants to disrupt your life. That's his agenda. He wants to turn you away from God. And you say, oh, Dave, that's, you know, that's just a fabrication. I mean, that's, that's a myth that is used to scare people into good behavior and church attendance. But I know for a fact that, that he's real. I know because I... I have done business with him too many times. And in this series, we've learned that this is Satan's playbook. He basically, he's got three plays and and that's it. He makes no bones about it. He says, this is what, what I do. And his plays are so effective, he doesn't need more plays. There's deception, there's accusation, and today we look at temptation. And there's a passage that we, we use as a springboard as we take a, a look at these three and we realize just how effective it is when Satan tempts us. James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, temptation and sin are serious business. And we will reap what we have sown. In your garden, you will harvest what you plant. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. But what about for us Christians? What, what's, what's, what's our playbook? Well, we, we have a playbook, and I'm gonna give you the top five when it comes to helping us fight against temptation. And each one of these five is an action that we must take. It, it's a verb. And if we put these into practice, I promise you that they will greatly reduce how often you give in to temptation. In fact, as you hear these five, there's probably gonna be one area that kind of jumps out at you that causes you to say, you know what, I I need to give that play a little bit more attention because I I haven't been doing that. God's made all these plays public. There's no secret plays. It's just pretty straightforward because our leader knows that if we follow it and stick to it, then no enemy can prevail against us. So here's our top five, and you listen for your one. Number one, know God's word. Know God's word. We won't spend a lot of time on this because Mark covered it so well in week one of the series. Jesus fasted for 40 days, so Satan attacks then because he thinks he's physically weak, 
but he forgets that he's spiritually strong in that moment. And so Jesus is able to take on those temptations by answering Satan every time with the same first three words. You know what he says? Every single time he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. He beats a path back to God's word. And that tells me if, if the son of God goes back to God's word for his strength when he faces temptation, how much more do, do I need to do this? Because this book is truth. How can you recognize a lie if, if you don't know what the truth is? Well, here's the second action we can take to overcome temptation, and that is resist the devil. James chapter four, verse seven, says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, in order to do that, you've, you've gotta be on your guard. You've, you've gotta be alert. And Satan will do anything he possibly can to rob you of your joy, to disrupt your life. He wants your decisions to be dictated by external circumstances rather than your inner joy. If you're a baseball fan, you may be aware of what happens in San Francisco for every Giants home game. There are kayakers that are out in McCovey's Cove, and they hope that there'll be a long home run that will be hit over the right field fence and go over the stands, and then what they do is all these kayakers, they fiercely paddle their way over and try to get that ball, and they will stay there all afternoon in pursuit of what might be just one ball that even comes in that area, but they wanna get that $3 ball, right? So that they can show that off to their grandchildren. I want you to watch a, a recent scene from during a Giants game, all right? Watch this. Conway Jr. turns on one, but hooks it inside the foul pole. Look out below. Uh-oh. The fight is on. Oh, look out. Oh, Dave! Look at that, Dave! That is cold-blooded. Wow. Oh, no! What are we doing out there? Oh, I love that. Oh. That'll change your attitude in an instant, right? I, I love watching that, but when I, when I saw it the first time, that's a pretty good picture of our lives, right? Things are going along smoothly. You're pursuing godly and, and good things, and then out of nowhere, in the last second, Satan swoops in and he robs you of the prize that, that you've been pursuing. Now, I am a bit concerned that in my illustration, the person who represents the devil is a guy named Dave. Uh, that's a bit unfortunate, right? But the Bible warns us that, that Satan has come to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what you nearly have in your grasp, Satan suddenly grabs and removes. It might be that relationship that you thought was about to take that next step. It may be the positive health report that, that you received only to be followed by discouraging news at your next appointment. It may be that promotion that you'd been promised. It could be another pregnancy that once again ends in another miscarriage. And Satan just swoops in and he tries to steal your joy. And so you better be on the lookout because if you are pursuing Christ, then Satan will make his presence known. He is unrelenting, so you've gotta be prepared. 
One Sunday, a, a lukewarm Christian was leaving church and he cavalierly commented to his, his pastor. He said, hey, pastor, you, you, you speak of how Satan will try to tempt you and cause you to engage in unethical things and immoral things. He said, but I gotta tell you, pastor. He said, you know, it, it's like the devil never bothers me. In fact, it's almost as if he, he doesn't even exist. And the wise older preacher looked back at the man and said, two people traveling down the same road, moving in the same direction, seldom bump into each other. If you have chosen to live for Jesus Christ in 2022, then you are in a battle and you need to resist the devil and you need to make certain that you're walking a different direction than he is. James talks about resisting the devil. What Peter does as well in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I love this passage. It says, be self-controlled and vigilant always, for your enemy the devil is always about prowling like a lion, roaring for its prey. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. He says, be self-controlled, be vigilant. That means to be disciplined. One of the reasons our society has problems today is because we were so worried about our kids' self-esteem when we should have been teaching them self-control. We should have been equipping them to say no to things. And Peter says, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. And if you stand for, for him, if you stand for the Lord, he will stand for you. And if you're having a hard time resisting the devil, it may be because you, you have some secret that you're the only person who knows it. And no one else knows that. And so you know how you make that temptation powerless? You share it with someone else and you say, hey, I, I'd love it if you'd pray for me on this. You know, the Bible says confess your sins therefore to one another. I'm, I'm just confessing it to you. The odds are good that person will probably say thanks for confiding in me. I won't tell a soul, but I'll be praying for you. And I've been through that myself. And God can work through those things, but you can't resist the devil if you're holding on to something. The Alcoholics Anonymous group has a, a phrase. They say, you're only as sick as your secrets. Well, here's the third action. And that is rely on the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit to be a gift for us God wants to use the Holy Spirit to help us when we encounter temptation. And our problem comes when it comes to listening to the Holy Spirit and then obeying what it is that he says because we wanna do things our way and we have a hard time both hearing and also obeying. And yet our tendency is to work in the flesh rather than living by the Spirit. And can I just tell you that the times when I try to face temptation in my own strength and in my own flesh, I'm telling you, I fail every time, every single time. But when I live by the Spirit, and when I try to rely on the Spirit, and you say, what, what does that mean? Well, it just means that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to dictate your decisions. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it's talking about spiritual warfare, and it's talking about demonic forces, and it says in the fourth verse, it says, you, dear children, are free are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
The one who is in you, Jesus Christ, is greater than the one who is in the world, than Satan. The opposite of accusation is affirmation. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He affirms what it is that we should be doing. And sometimes we forget that and we live like we're defeated. And we, we, we live like we've lost. But last week, Ashley reminded us not to listen to Satan the accuser, but to listen to Jesus, our advocate. Your actions should be an outgrowth of your identity. Our identity is in Christ. Let me stress just how important Jesus felt that the Holy Spirit would be in your life. In John chapter 16, verse seven, he says to the disciples, just the, the, the day before he's crucified. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. You gotta be kidding me. How, how could it be good, Jesus, for you to go away? Listen to what he says. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, he was limited by his physical body, and so he would only be one place at a time. But when he ascended to heaven, shortly after that, he sent his Holy Spirit. And now for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him, now Christ's Spirit chooses to take up residency in your heart, in your life. And back in the Old Testament, we saw this phrase, God with us, God with us. But now it's Christ in you. Do you understand the implications of that? That means that, that the spirit of Christ lives inside of you. What a difference a preposition makes. You and the Holy Spirit will always be a majority. It will always tip the scales. And so that's why we need to listen and walk in, in lock, stock, and barrel with the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the fourth way that we can overcome temptation, and that is to develop healthy relationships. Satan took advantage of the COVID uh, pandemic and he used it to separate believers. He used it to, to get them out of the habit of worshiping together, of serving side by side, of being able to be face to face. You see, one of the benefits is that it helps you to overcome temptation. You say, why? It's because there's power in accountability. There's a strength that comes when we are together. You just look around in, in, in this room and every campus and you see other believers and you realize, I'm not alone. I, I, I'm not fighting this fight by myself. Recently, I, I was reading and, and I came across some fascinating information about Eskimos and I, I discovered that they are the greatest hunters in the world. But there was one deadly animal that was very difficult for them to learn to master, and it was the white wolf. And the white wolf wrought a lot of havoc among the Eskimo civilization and those people. Now, you'll understand why it was so tough to, to get a white wolf, and that's because of the fact that, that they have the ability to be able to smell a human within two miles, and their eyesight would be good enough that they would be able to read a newspaper from 150 yards away. Now, I, I don't know how they discover or quantify this stuff or determine it. I, don't, I didn't know that wolves could read. Uh, 
I don't, I'd love to meet the two yahoos that were in on this study with their walkie-talkies. Okay, Bill, uh, yeah, step back with the newspaper. Okay, turn the page, please. Okay, yeah, he's chuckling at the caption to that cartoon. Okay, he can see it, scoot back a little further. I don't, I don't know how they did it, right? Evidently, LASIK surgery is really big in the white wolf community. But the Eskimos devised a way to, to bring down this most cunning animal which threatens their way of life. And I'm, I'm just gonna tell you right now before I share this story that it, uh, it is a very heavy story, so you need to prepare yourself. It's kind of brutal. But here's what happens. The Eskimos learn that they can take a very sharp knife and they freeze it. And then they dip it in blood. And then they freeze it again. And they dip it in blood. And they freeze it again. And they repeat this until there is a thick coat of blood on the knife. And then they go out in the wilderness and they embed it down in the ground with the blade sticking up. And they leave. And sometime later, the wolf smells the blood on the blade and is drawn to it. And sensing and knowing that there is no one around for a couple of miles, he thinks he's got a free lunch. And so he begins to lick the blood-covered knife. And the white wolf gets comfortable and licks faster and faster as he tastes the frozen blood. And then eventually he gets down to the blade he slices his tongue, but he doesn't even know it because his tongue has been numbed by the frozen blood. And by the time he gets down to just the blade, he is still tasting blood. He just doesn't realize that it's his own. And most of the time, the wolf will die within steps of the knife because it bleeds out so quickly. Now that is a very graphic and it is a very painful illustration to even hear. But it's quite similar to what happens to us if we're not careful. And as James points out, we are enticed by our own desire. And slowly but surely, without knowing, every lick is one lick closer to death. And James says, desire has conceived. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Back to the white wolf, when one of those dies, it's not usually in a pack, it's usually one that's by itself. Isn't that interesting? It's easier to fool them and to pick them off when they're alone than when they're together. And Satan knows our weaknesses. He doesn't come at us when we're, we're seated here all together in the Christian community. He comes at us when we're alone. He comes at us when we're spiritually dry, when we're in the wilderness, when we're searching, and we take that first lick and everything seems fine, and we lick it and lightning didn't strike. And there's no one around for a couple of miles, so no one can see what I do, and no one knows what I'm doing, it's just me. No one will ever find out. But you and I know from experience that it never works that way. Isolation invites temptation. And giving in to temptation isolates us even more. You know why? Because our guilt and shame causes us to pull away. And that's why we need each other. 
That's why we need the encouragement of one another. That's why we need the challenge of one another. There is a value that comes when we are together. You know, next week is fall fiesta. It's gonna be an awesome time at every single campus. They're having tacos for this one, all right? And it's gonna be great. They're gonna have more tables than they've had. They're gonna have more food choices. They're gonna have all sorts of different things. Why? It's so that you can build relationships with others, so that you can invite someone who maybe doesn't have a church that they attend, and you can bring them to be a part of that next weekend. I hope you'll do that. You see, things happen when we get together. And iron sharpens iron, and we're there for one another. Here's a passage that we need to share in order to bolster and to encourage one another. It's good news for us. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And Paul is speaking. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise. What's the promise? Every temptation you encounter, God will either give you the strength to handle it or he will provide an escape for you every time. So what temptation are you facing right now? Identify it in your mind. Is it to throw in the towel on your marriage? Is it to pursue materialism and try to make a name for yourself and have a bigger house in the neighborhood? Maybe you're a college student who's tempted to give, give up your purity in pursuit of popularity. Perhaps your financial situation is so bleak that you're toying with being unethical or, or dishonest to try to improve your financial situation. Regardless of what temptation is lurking in your life, take the time, take the effort. That's why you always hear us saying, get in a group, get in a group. You think you're the only person that struggles with these temptations? Your entire group does. That's why we need one another. Number one, know God's word. Two, resist the devil. Three, rely on the Holy Spirit. Four, develop healthy Christian relationships. And number five, the fifth action, pray like mad. You say, prayer, does that, I mean, does that really help us overcome temptation? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is with his disciples. He, he's about to be betrayed and arrested. He'll be beaten, flogged, whipped, nailed to a cross. And the humanity of Christ is in this battle and he's in this deep prayer session with, with the Lord about saying, you know, hey, is there any other way that mankind can be saved? Is there any other way? Do I have to die? His human side is just asking that question. I wouldn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. He says, is there any other way? And God says, no, there's no other way. You're the only way. But he asks his disciples to do something rather interesting. While he's praying, he knows what's about to happen for them. And so what's about to happen to them is they're about to be put to the test. And so Jesus says to them in Luke 22, verse 46, he says to the disciples, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. In fact, he says it twice, pointing out that prayer can keep a person from falling into temptation. And so there must be something important that happens when we pray. 
You see, prayer is not a part of the battle. Prayer is the battle. And ironically, it is the greatest unused resource that we have available to us. And so when we pray, we are equipped to handle temptation. A number of years ago, our family vacationed down in Florida. It was, it was beautiful. Someone had a condo. They let us stay there. We were right there on the Gulf of Mexico. It was a great week. My son and I, we did a lot of fishing that week. And toward the end of our time there, on our last night, I asked my daughter, Sadie, I said, Sadie, would you take some pictures at sunset of, of Sam and me, my son and I, uh, fishing together out in the water as the sun's setting? I thought that would be really cool, a father and son spending time together. We'd fished a lot that week, and I thought a, a picture would cement those memories in my mind. And so my, my, my daughter took some pictures at dusk, and I, I put this picture uh, for months to come on, on my desk, and it just brought back great memories. But Sam and I stayed out there after Sadie went in, and we kept on fishing. And after some time, I wasn't getting any bites, and so I just moved out a little deeper into the water, probably waist deep or a little bit higher, when all of a sudden, I got pounded on the back of my calf, and it felt like a big, smooth rock had just hit me. And immediately, I thought, you know what? I bet Sam was goofing off. He picked up some big rock, and he hurled it at me. He tried to splash me, but he got too close, and he hit me instead. So I whirled around at him, and I gave him a dirty look. I said, did you just throw a rock at me? And by his surprised expression, I, I, I knew that he hadn't. And it was in that instant that I realized, you know what? There, there wasn't a splash. And it hit me, and I said, get out of the water. And we high-stepped. You've never seen two guys get out of water faster. I mean, I look like a praying mantis getting out of there. I high-stepped it out of there. We were out in four seconds flat. That night, I, I, I called the guy who had let us use his condo. I called him up, and I said, hey, I said, hey, I, uh, I got bumped out in the water by something when I was fishing. He said, well, was it during the day? I said, uh, sheepishly, well, uh, not, not really. Why do you ask? He said, well, at dusk, as it's getting dark, the bull sharks come in. Oh, good to know. Uh, that's probably a detail that I would have put on the condo information sheet, you know. Uh, remote control in the TV cabinet, popsicles in the freezer, bull sharks in the backyard. You know, I, I, I think it would make the list. Um, he said, well, you weren't out fishing in the water then, were you? I said, well, yeah, my son was in water up to his knees. I, I was a little deeper than I should have been. He said, Dave, he said, bull sharks are very territorial. When, when they, they come toward the shore at night, they can be very aggressive because you're in their territory. He said, you're very fortunate that you got a courtesy bump. I said, wow. He said, you do know that, that bull sharks have more testosterone than any other animal in the animal kingdom. So, well, no, I'll make a note of that, though. Uh, <laughs> now, what would you think of me if the very next night at dusk, I went out there and, and fished again? You'd say, he, he is stupid. Well, the next summer, we went back to the same condo, and guess what? I didn't fish in the water at night. In fact, I didn't swim in the water in the day. <laughs> <laughs> because I learned my lesson. And I didn't even want to get close to something that was so dangerous. Oh, how I wish we treated temptation 
and sin the same way. But we foolishly inch our way back. Like a dog returning to its own vomit, we repeat our same mistakes, we return to the water, all the while knowing the guilt it will bring and the consequences of our actions. And some of you, you're in some waters that you shouldn't be in, and when you're bumped or nudged, it's my hope that you will no longer just shrug your shoulders, but instead, I hope you'll high-step it out of there. Do not grow comfortable with the nudges of Satan. Consider this sermon a courtesy bump. Do not grow accustomed to his schemes. It's time we, we stand out rather than blending in, and we better pray. We better pray like we've never prayed before, pleading for God's help rather than arrogantly thinking that we can handle temptation on our own. Please hear me. You, you've listened to this with five different things. I hope that one of them jumped out at you. But this is really not a talk on temptation. It's more of a plea for prayer. And my fear is that you and I will underestimate the power of prayer and the role that it can play in overcoming temptation. So, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling, who will make us stand in his presence with his glory mixed with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you next week at Fall Fiesta and make certain you bring a friend with you. Can't wait. Mm.